Rawnot researched real life stories. Hi guys, welcome to Inspirational Interviews, a super cool life stories platform where we showcase real life stories of people from all over the world. Bravehearts famous or not going out there doing their thing. These interviews are not staged. The conversations can go anywhere. What's your life story? Be inspired by these stories to create your beautiful life. With me, your host, Jen Rod. Guys, welcome to the second edition of Inspirational Interviews third season. I'm very excited to introduce you guys to Catherine Lee Kruger. Catherine, as she says straight up in her interview, and you're going to hear that next, is a clairvoyant, and she also is a healer. She's come out with a few courses. She actually doesn't practice one-on-one anymore. She's 74 years old and decided to step away from the one-on-one practices. But this conversation with Catherine for me was incredible because Everyone thinks that healers have it all together and that their life is just perfect and you feel intimidated when you're having a conversation with a healer and certainly a clairvoyant because you think they're reading your mind and they know what's going to happen next. But what was amazing about this conversation for me is just the understanding that no one is perfect. If you're a human being, it doesn't matter what you do in life, you are going to suffer traumas, you're going to have tragedies, you're going to also be someone who says the wrong things, you're going to be someone who's also sensitive, someone who also has issues in life. Everyone is the same and whatever path we choose in life, it doesn't make us perfect. And I love this conversation with Catherine because it really highlights that no matter what you are, you're still human at the end of the day and you still have to travel a human journey. So this is, it's a spiritual conversation, but it's a very cool conversation. Um, So I'm excited to now move on next with Catherine Lee Kruger. And again, guys, thanks for tuning into the show. All of your stories, your feedback, your your notes on Instagram, your notes on my email, it goes straight where it needs to, to my heart, and it keeps me going and bringing these stories to you. So keep bringing me little notes. Tell me if you've listened to a story. Send me a message. The best ways to reach me are, I think, mostly through email because I think we get inundated on social media. But if I do make a post on Instagram and you comment there, I will definitely see it. But if you are sending messages through Messenger on Instagram, I get hundreds of those. So it might get diluted in those. And a lot when I say I get hundreds, a lot of them are also sort of these spam emails. So I don't always even see messages that come through there. So email me directly, Jenrod or Jen at inspirationalinterviews.com or send me a message via one of the posts uh, on Instagram. Guys, without any further ado, let's move on with Catherine Lee Kruger. Cool, Catherine. Thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I never do these huge intros. And as everyone knows, I never do any research on my guests before they come on the show. Um, there's always sort of, you know, there's always this genuine interest of wanting to find out someone's story. And, but actually what connected me with you was because I had also read Dr. Brian Weiss's book on, and it's called Many Lives, Many Masters, I think. Um, and it's all about past life regressions. And everyone knows that I've lost a brother and, you know, that, that kind of conversation always picks my ears up. Um, and I read that book so quickly, which I don't always with books. I mean, I've got kids, you know, so it was, but I really got stuck into that book and, yeah. And then I, after that, I was interested just to see who in South Africa was into that 
area of exploration in life and who believes in, you know, believes in past life regressions. So that's how I found you. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what, actually, why don't I do a season of interviewing healers? But then, as you said, when you came in, you said, shame, a few people have messed you around, which people haven't been, but it was just that you ended up having to go to hospital and the other healer ended up having a car accident. So I was like, you know, let's just do it as we normally do it. And whichever healers come into my path, we'll have a conversation. So anyway, here you are. So how would you, yeah, how would you describe yourself just in a nutshell, in an intro to everyone listening right now? I think I would call myself a spiritual teacher, mm. healer, uh, and clairvoyant. Mm, that's intimidating, sitting opposite a clairvoyant. <laughs> I'm thinking, what does she know that I don't know? <laughs> I never go into somebody else's yeah. space without their permission. It's respect. Yeah, yeah. But can you, though? Yes, if they ask me to. Oh, okay. No, but I mean, without their permission, can you see, can you go into things? I mean, since you know, you just, you just said that. So now I'm like, oh, my gosh, can you? The thing is, there's a difference between seeing the human aura, which is the energy field mm. which surrounds a person, mm. and it gives off a particular frequency. So I read the aura by picking up the person's vibration. Mm. And so many people say, he's got a good vibe. Oh, mm. that's mm. a lousy vibe. And people don't realize that they're reading the aura mm. when they pick up energy. So to answer your question, yes, I'll walk into a room and I'll pick up who I don't feel uncomfortable, who I don't feel comfortable yes. with. I can pick up good energy. I can pick up bad energy, but I certainly don't sit there mm. and read that person. Yes, yes. I mean, I can imagine that as actually, because if you have the gift of doing that, and when I say have the gift, I, I'm also thinking you need to develop that gift. I can imagine you would need to develop it, but we'll get into that now. But I can imagine it would be quite tiring. It's exhausting to yeah. read somebody else's aura. Yes, yeah. So anyway, but um, let's let's go back now to, you know, it's, if someone says they're a clairvoyant, I, for me it's because I also I work with people all the time. I feel people's energies. I'm also quite intuitive. Um, I've never gone down that road, obviously, of, you know, discovering if I have that talent or not. Um, but I know I'm very connected with people. But let's just go back to the beginning of your story. Um, I think let's just start. Where are you from? Where were you born? Start there. Because I hear your accent's quite refined. That's because I went to school in the heart of the British Empire, which in my youth was Peter Maritzburg Natal. <laughs> okay. Where did you go to school? Peter Maritzburg Technical College. Okay. Yes. So um, interesting, born in Johannesburg, mm. my father was a plumber and he worked on contract. So we moved every <clears throat> Two years. Really? So I've lived in all the provinces and gone to lots of different schools. Mm. And I must confess, I never did master maths. <laughs> you just didn't like maths. I, I wasn't, you know, I, have a, I wasn't wired for that frequency. Yeah. 
And apparently not everybody can do maths. And I realize now it was probably because of these um, spiritual gifts I was born with mm. that we're dealing very much with the abstract all the time. Yes. And now to try and get me to focus on figures, I could never understand what the point was in trying to calculate how fast a ball fell off a, a roof to the ground. I had to think to myself, who the hell cares? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, but it is true. Some people are just, they are just natural at maths, right? They're natural at numbers. And some people are just like, I mean, you always see even the little artists in the class right now that I've got two smaller kids, but also my stepdaughter is a phenomenal artist. Um, and you just, people are just born with these talents. I mean, others want to be an artist and then they go for it and they become famous or very successful artists but you can just see even at three years old which ones are going to be the artists when you see the pictures on the wall you know they just have this gift it's true and you can't be both mm. <laughs> what ma mathematician and artist no no you ask that. an artist to fill out a form oh really yes or a healer to fill out a form yeah and we freak <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you, you went, you traveled all over. Interesting, you say your dad was a plumber and you traveled. That's usually like an engineer, not necessarily a plumber. Was he working in the engineering space or where was he working then? He was like, getting up at four o'clock in the morning and digging drains for buildings and laying pipes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he but was. For big buildings and commercial. And houses and everything. Okay. I come from a very humble background. Mm. Mm. My father, my we, well, I'm one of five children. My dad was a plumber who worked himself to death to feed us. Literally or? No. <laughs> okay. Just he was a hard worker, yeah. Very much yeah. so. And then I always grew up being uh, very sensitive mm. and I didn't understand why. Mm. And then, uh, I was a devout Christian, uh, and when I was 16, I even fell in love with a local vicar, <laughs> and my mom had gave me this talk about it's very hard to be a minister's wife, you know, you really should yeah. uh, rethink this thing. Anyway, thank goodness that phase passed. Mm. So having been raised in a – my mom was a, a staunch Christian as well. Yeah. Raised in a Christian home – all I wanted to do was either to become a nurse or a nun. Oh. And my mom was horrified. Mm. Uh, she said, rather go nursing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she wanted grandchildren one yes. day. <laughs> and did she get grandchildren? Yes. Okay. Plenty. Yeah. How many kids do you have? No, I've only got two boys, okay. but with four brothers, they all produced. Okay. So she landed up with quite a few grandchildren. Yes, yeah. Uh, and then when I went nursing – I couldn't understand how a God of love could allow babies to die of brain cancer. Mm. And there was, I was very young. I matriculated when I was 16, coming from a very sheltered home. Mm. And now, boom, I'm in this world where, uh, faced with these harsh realities. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, terrible car accidents mm. and the innocent person comes off maimed yeah. or loses a loved one mm. and the drunken driver walks free. So I really began to question my faith. Where is this God of love? Mm. And the 
Our Methodist minister used to do ward rounds, and I kept on asking him, I said, you know, where's this God of love? Yeah. When you look at what's going on around you, and he just couldn't give me the answers I wanted. So then I went into a stage of rebellion, mm-hmm. decided I was an atheist. And from being <laughs> very strict with a Christian upbringing, I did the most dreadful thing. I started smoking. Yeah. And I had a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Proper rebellion, Catherine. Proper rebellion. <laughs> um, and I started going to these parties we had. Mm. I was never promiscuous. My mother really trained me, trained me properly mm. that way. Mm. But I used to pride myself in living it up. Yeah. And then <laughs> one night, my parents got involved in spiritualism. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I thought this was really weird because there are a lot of misconceptions about spiritualism. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they were having a seance one night. And what is that? Well, when a people, a, a group of people get together, mm. and so nowadays they call it a meditation circle. Yes. Okay. But uh, people who belong to the spiritualist church have what we call a development circle. Mm-hmm. And then you sit in a group, you pray and you sing and you say prayers. And the whole idea is to develop your psychic and mediumistic abilities. Yeah. Now, I decided I was going to sit in this seance because I was going through that anything for kicks. Yes. Yeah. Period and whatever, whatever. So just to set that scene, you were a nurse at the time, but you were still living at home. I used to go home for weekends and to visit. So where were you living at that time? In Johannesburg. And they were in? Also in Johannesburg. Okay, so you were living in your own place in Joburg, but you would go visit them in Joburg. I stayed in the nurse's home. Oh, okay. All right. And then I would go home to visit, and we had a cottage in the back garden. Okay, yeah. And this is where we used to gather for the prayer, meditation, Mm. psychic development circle. Okay, and how old were you then? I was in my final year of nursing. Which was? I must have been about... 18 and a half, okay. somewhere around there, because yeah. I started when I was 16. Yeah, okay. So I thought that this was going to be a real something for kicks. We did things for kicks in those days. Mm. And I was going to make a total mockery of this mm. and go home and regale my friends in the nursing home with what happened. Because I thought, oh, yeah, okay, there'll be things going thump in the night and the table will gallop across the room (laughs) and the spirits will appear and go, boo. (laughs) It was nothing like that. Uh, There was a lot of praying and singing of hymns. And then suddenly I just felt this angelic presence overshadow me. It was a powerful, loving, warm, special feeling. Mm. And this presence overshadowed me and like a sleepwalker, 
I was moved across the room to where my mum was sitting, mm-hmm. and she had such suffered with migraines all her life. Yeah. And I didn't know she had a migraine. Mm-hmm. But this loving presence that had overshadowed me moved my hands and put them on her head, and I just felt this incredible love. It was like a waterfall of love and warmth and peace and you know they talk about the peace that passes all understanding Mm -hmm. and I just felt this energy pulsating through my hands for about five ten minutes yeah then it stopped and like a sleepwalker I was moved back to my chair and I sat down now the joke was on me because there's a lovely Afrikaans expression called gespook yeah, <laughs> you were spooked. You, yeah, yeah. And I was terrified, and I sat there not moving, and nothing else happened for the rest of the evening. Yeah, and for was, you anyway. But the, the the sort of ceremony continued. All day. yes, the praying and the singing of hymns continued, mm. and there were no ghosts popping up and tables rattling around mm. and trumpets flying around the room and whatever, whatever. Yeah, but you did physically move across to the room. That did happen. Yes, I was the only entertainment for the evening. <laughs> but what, why was it? Was it? Did was everyone shocked in this? What have it? What happened? Well, they just observed. You Uh, know, and they didn't know what had happened until it was all over. And then I said to my mom, what on earth was that all about? Yeah. And she said she'd had a bad migraine, all her, you know, very bad migraine. And when I put my hands on her, the power working through me, uh, she was healed completely and she never had a migraine again. Now, that was my introduction, and it really blew me away. Wow. Because I was in my final year, I had six months to go to qualify, and as far as I was concerned, only drugs and the knife could heal. Yeah. Don't come to me with all this woo-woo stuff. Mm. And so it threw me into um, – a difficult phase because I went back to the nurse's home and when my friends got ill, I said to them, look, I don't know what this is. I don't know how it works. But if I put my hands on you and I say a prayer, something happens. And then I found after that that patients used to fight and say they wanted me to do their dressings because mm. they felt better afterwards. Oh, wow. Now, that's how it started, but the plot thickens. Mm-hmm. So I became very curious about this lot. And then I heard about the Spiritualist Church. Yeah. Is that what it's called, the Spiritualist Church? This was Universal Temple Spiritualist Church. Mm. And I thought, let me go along and, and see what's potting. Yeah. <laughs> So I went along in my nurse's uniform and I sat in the back row, <laughs> terrified. Yeah. Now, when you go to a spiritualist church, it's no different to a, an ordinary church service. Mm. The only difference is you have somebody who does the sermon mm-hmm. and you have somebody who gives clairvoyant messages to the audience. Yeah. Anyway, I sat there, watched this whole procedure. They read from the Bible. They sang their hymns. Mm. And the only difference being they believed in the continuity of life after the transition called death. Mm. 
and personal responsibility for all sin and error committed. Okay. That's just one of the belief systems. Mm. Anyway, now it came to the point where the clairvoyant was giving messages. And I sat there thinking, please don't come to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> please Back don't come off. to me. <laughs> Back off. <laughs> and guess who the clairvoyant picked first? Yes. Me. Naturally. And she said to me, do you know that you're psychic? Well, I nearly had a heart attack. They nearly had to do CPR on the spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I said, no. Anyway, I went back to the nurse's home, Chan, and I was so terrified that I would see something that Mm. I slept with my light on for six weeks. (laughs) But then my, my curiosity got the better of me, and I started going to the spiritualist church regularly Mm. because I found that they could give me answers that conventional religion couldn't. Yeah. And then I started doing healing in the churches. And then it occurred to me, my dream has always been to have healers working alongside the medical profession in hospitals, Mm. not robbing them of their profession, Mm. because healing is always in addition to and not instead of Mm. conventional medical therapy. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, 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 I go with that as well. Um, you know, my first point of call is always, okay, where am I at? Where are my thoughts at? You know, if I hear someone else who's sick or hasn't been well, I first think, where are they at? Where are their thoughts at? You know, it's always about that first. Yes. Obviously, exactly what you say, you know, if there's, if there's, if there's acute, need for medication for for hospitalization for doctors that's 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 what needs to happen you know yes um but you know that's why i also looked into the world of healing because i believe in i've always since i was young i've always believed in the natural power of healing the natural the 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 power of the natural body the power of us you know um Okay, so let's not just go back because you say you've all, that's that was your dream. Huh? But so let's go back to when you were a child. You moved around a lot. Who was Catherine as a child? That's a good question. She was overweight. Okay, yeah. Did that that obviously bothered you because you, that's the first thing you say? Yes, because I was mocked throughout my childhood about my weight. Um, but I realize now that. Most psychics carry weight because you need some protection mm. because you pick up stuff all the time from your surroundings. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I struggled through school. I really did mm. because of the maths being compulsory. Yeah. Cause that's the other thing you mentioned straight away, maths as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I went to boarding school at Decopo from standard six. My parents were convinced I wasn't very bright, mm-hmm. but they didn't know I was lazy. Yeah. So when I got distinctions in all my subjects, my dad said, you're not leaving school in standard eight, you're doing your matric. Mm. Mm. And then from boarding school in the discipline of, you know, you've got homework time, prep mm. term, you, mm. you have to work or yeah. the um, prefects. Yeah. Would chastise you. Yeah. 
And then I discovered, you know, I actually had a brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And my passion has always been I can never learn enough. I just really, I just adore anthropology. I uh, explore comparative religion. Uh, I'm still teaching over Zoom and I love the medical, um, the mental stimulation I yeah, get. Yeah. So because you mentioned the weight thing, right? And I mean, everyone that listens to the show, everyone has insecurities. You already bought them out straight away. The maths, you know, the weight. How do you, and, and, um, when I did a NLP, you know, master NLP practitioner course quite a few, many years ago, um, there was one, woman in the class and she also carried a bit of weight and you know I, I really like we had to do this sort of analysis on each other and it, it sort of I guess uh kind of talk about each other's energies and anyway I really you know I straight away said to her you know I can feel you 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 know you heavy what are you carrying um and she also carried the weight right so talk to us a little bit about that in, in, in a way to also maybe empower or encourage people who do carry weight. And you talk about it, that it's also the sort of protection. Like I, I, that's, I buy into that as well. I think that that's true. Um, a lot of sensitivity, uh, sense, you know, sense to people, they've, they've got to find ways to protect themselves, but you, you really put the two and two together. Not everyone has done that. Yes, you, you're really touching on a sore spot here. I didn't think I'd be talking about this. Yeah. So I believe, I, I believe in being open and not pretending to be anything I'm mm. not. Um, the eating became, I became an emotional eater mm. because of my sensitivity. My feelings were easily hurt. And I would find release in food. Mm. So <laughs> I think my biggest battle was Barbie dolls. Really? Everybody had this, you had to look like Barbie yeah. in order to be loved. So ever going on crash diets, <laughs> I made Weight Watchers and proper eating training and you name every possible mm. diet club under the sun. Mm. I made them rich. Yeah. I made all these companies who sold diet tablets, I made them rich mm. because I thought if only I could be slim, then I would be loved. Mm. And my biggest regret today is that I abused my body. Dieting, crash dieting, eating, you know, you know the cycle. <clears throat> yeah. You know the cycle. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And then what I've discovered, <laughs> and I, even now I'm 74, every day I have to make peace with my body. I was never designed to look like like Barbie. Yeah. Because you get the kind of body you need to do your work. And it's interesting that when I had my practice, mm. people feel more comfortable with somebody who's chubby. It just gives them a sense of security. Mm. As a public speaker, I'm not talking about being heavily obese. Mm. If you carry a bit more weight, you create a bigger impression on the mm. audience. Mm. Um, I have a friend who's petite and gorgeous. I'd love to be like her, mm. but and brilliant, 
brilliant woman, but people don't take her seriously mm. because of her build. Mm. So, yes, um, I've got to the stage now uh, where I'm making peace with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I will have a biscuit if I feel like it. I don't binge, but I'm allowed to have a biscuit yeah. with my cup of tea without yeah. feeling uh, guilty about it. Mm. I, I think it's, I think it's beautiful how, how actually, you know, these feelings that we have when we're younger, they're, they're just as real. They're real. Cause you talk about that. You still have that, right? So I, I, it's beautiful to see that, you know, when you're younger, you can actually take yourself as seriously, you know, with what you're dealing with. It's not like just a young thing. It's going to, you know, it's, it's a real thing. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes. It stalks you all your life. I mean, as a child, uh, I was, Teased, teased, and really? called mafuta. Yeah, you know, which is um, it's is it? a Zulu word for fatty. Yeah, and if it wasn't mafuta, it was you know fatty and mocked and ridiculed mm. over my size. Couldn't get boyfriends because I was heavy. Yeah, and people always are very cruel. I remember going skating once with my friends. Mm. Uh, I was about nineteen, having a wonderful time on the ice, and somebody skated past and said, "You better not slip because you'll break the ice if you fall." So a lot of heavy people have this problem. Mm. People are incredibly cruel. Yeah. And you land up thinking that you can't be loved because you're carrying weight. Mm. Mm. But did your parents have that? I mean, sounds like they were, you know, they they had your back in a way. They wanted your mom said, you know, don't don't marry into the you know into the religious world. You know, it's a it's a tough world. Like they were conscious. It's not like they were not available for you. Well, being in boarding school from standard six, mm. uh, you had to stand on your own two feet and fight your own battles. Mm. And of course, anorexia in those days was also there, but not to the same extent. So even at school, I was starving and then binging, starving and then binging. Yeah, yeah. What is so these kinds of people, right? So today is there's a celebration of Desmond Tutu today. Is it? I don't know if it's his birthday. Is it? Is or is it the the death? I'm not sure. Okay. Anyway, so today my daughter had to wear a tutu to school, and she's also very sensitive. And she, she, she came running into the room this morning. She says, I'm not going to school, not going to school. Yes. And then immediately I knew Holden is sick. Okay. Put two and two together. What's going on? And I was like, are you feeling uncomfortable about wearing a tutu to school? She says, yes, everyone's going to tease me. I said, who's everyone? And then she, it, it whittled down to a name. And it's funny because yes. it's always the same name of these girls that are nasty, right? So, um, but, uh, now what's the point? Now I'm getting personal with this, but it's, you know, the, the, it's the, the, the point is, is that, uh, you know, when you're younger, you're always going to get those nasty kids at school that, and, and as I said, it's always seems to be the same ones that are doing the attacking or, um, but how have you, um, when you've had someone come into your off or your, your, your room, your space, your healing space, um, have you ever had someone come in that you can pick up as that kind of person? Well, and, do you know what I mean? Because now you're on the other end of need, needing to heal. You know where I'm going with this. 
Well, I, I've gone through stages of being very fat and thinner. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I can't fit into my clothes. I can't fit into my wedding dress. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like some people can. Yes. I would clients would come in and in one of my much fatter stages mm-hmm. and say things like, uh, "Have you tried this diet?" You know, or I can see you uncomfortable. Or, you know, I really, I practice whatever their modality was. Come and see me for coffee. Mm. And then you go there and then they want to put you on their special diet, Mm. things like that. Mm. Or passing comments about your size. You know, people need to know that being overweight is an illness. You are tormented mentally every day of your life Mm -hmm. by your size. And uh, my second marriage, he never stopped commenting about my size and I had to lose weight and things like that. Yeah. And I, I get so upset when I see pictures of heavy people on Facebook and there's always a nasty comment, you know, like a very obese woman in a bikini. She's sick. Man, people who are heavy, really heavy, are sick. We've got a condition that we just can't manage. And people don't realize the emotional and mental torment Mm. that goes with being heavy. Yeah. Even today when I look in the mirror, I have to talk nicely to myself and to be kind to myself Mm. and to say, that's enough now, Catherine. Yeah. You know, the torment, the mockery, the battles with weight throughout your life. Just put them away in the drawer Mm -hmm. and enjoy just being yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And have you, have you had a, a person in your, in your space where you need to heal them? Yes. But they're the kind of person that is generally you know you can pick up because you're so sensitive that they're that they are that judgy person they are that sort of person that would point you out at school or would point someone out in the I street. I don't do not you? really okay. you know the people who came to me and I've been in practice for fifty six years the yeah. people who come to me are really hurting and okay. they really need help. Yeah. So, and I find what they want is someone to listen to them. Yeah. You do more listening than healing. Mm. Now, I closed my private practice with COVID. Yeah. Uh, so I still work over Zoom with clients. Mm. And also, now that I'm 74, my energy levels aren't what they used to be. Yeah. So I've trained healers throughout my life to, um, you know, pick up where I left off. Yeah. So you spoke to me when when I uh, emailed you that day. You made you emailed me back with great. Uh, your, the energy in your email was amazing, and you said, "I woke up this morning, and my spirit guide told me I was going to be in radio again." And here I was messaging to say, "Would you like to join me on the podcast show?" So talk to me about the different things now you have done. So that was that time when you were a nurse, right? And you went into this space of exploring now your your gift of clairvoyancy. Um, you still practice as a nurse. Up until what point did you stop as a nurse? And tell us what else you know. What else you've been doing in your life? Have you got three hours? <laughs> no, but I have. I definitely have point forms. <laughs> have space for point forms. <laughs> you know, when I left um, nursing, 
I got a job as a filing clerk working for a medical aid. Okay. I was bored out of my mind mm. because I really missed, you know, there's a, 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 a high that comes with fighting to save a life in casualty. But then over a period of time, more and more people came to me and said, please teach me how to use my hands to heal. And I said, I don't know how to do that because it's just something that soma happens when I touch people. <laughs> soma, soma. That's a real for my foreigner. Like, you know, obviously I'm in South Africa now, but I've got guests everywhere. They're going to think soma. What does that mean? It's like a South African Afrikaans expression. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then I, fa- I found one of the first healing courses ever written by Harry Edwards. Mm-hmm. And I started practicing with that, and it took me 10 years to perfect my Your Hands Can Heal course, which I have been teaching, as I say, since for the last 55 years. Mm. Now, in addition to that, I got married. I had two boys, lovely boys. Um, I carried on working as PA to the MD for a long time. And then that was the main, and then I worked, went into public relations, mm-hmm. really enjoyed that. And being in PR helped me to get to where I was today because when I started working full time yeah. as a spiritual teacher, facilitator of workshops, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. I was able to write my own press releases. Okay. And to yeah. promote myself, which yeah. was really a huge advantage. Mm. So for many years, I supported myself doing clairvoyant readings, doing healings, coming home from work, doing those, because I got divorced when my kids were young and it was tight financially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, moving onwards, I think my, Happiest job was when I worked in television as mm-hmm. production manager for Walkabout Pictures, mm-hmm. producing a program uh, for Nestle on family years, okay, covering from childhood upwards. And that was uh, an indirect way of below-the-line advertising. Mm. We always featured their products. Okay. So it was lovely going um, into – out and filming people, interviewing them. Yeah, so because you, while we were waiting for them just to set things up, you mentioned that. So I asked you, but just tell everyone listening because it's nice to for people to picture exactly what the genre is of what you end up doing, right? But so that was like a real life. We would go out, and for example, mm. we we covered the whole spectrum from birth you know, later on, because Nestle had products for diabetics, they had products for babies, they had products for nutritional mm-hmm. products for mm-hmm. the elderly. Sorry, I'm advertising here. Sorry oh, no, you're that. not. No, no. I, I mean, <laughs> we're constantly advertising as humans, aren't we? Okay. But anyway, no, don't worry. I just want to know what it is that the program yes. was. Yeah. So let's say we would be doing an article on heart disease, a program on heart disease and good nutrition. 
Then I would go out with a crew and I would interview cardiologists. I would interview people who had heart conditions, people who recovered from surgery. Then we would do a program of the importance of calcium in the body and so on and so on. Okay. So that you were doing for how long? I was in television for a year. Yeah. And then I worked as a features writer for professional beauty magazine and medical aesthetics. Mm -hmm. I loved that. Mm. I really loved that. That Mm. was for a year as well. One works on contract. Yeah. And then on a voluntary basis, I was with Radio Today for three years and I had my own program called Josie Today. I really loved doing that. Yeah. And then, you know, one has to move around and… And what were you doing within Josie today? Were you interviewing, interviewing people? people? And, mm. of course, drawing from my experience in walk Walkabout Pictures, I loved covering medical aspects yeah. and I looked for stories of inspiration mm. to really motivate people and help them to feel better. Yeah, yeah. And on and off, on and off, all these years, I ran a private practice. Okay. Yeah, all through that. So was that then the last job? The with the well, it was it was voluntary, right? With Josie Radio. Yes. But what, what was the last job then? Or contract? Because you say you were professional on beauty magazine. Okay. Yeah. And so why did you stop then? Was it? Did you did your practice then take off that you were more busy on? on, on? Oh yes, yes. My practice really took off. I was mm. very very busy. Yeah. Mm. And so now with COVID, you said you stopped the private practice. So is this now, that that phase is now over, that private yes. practice phase? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, it's very draining. My yeah. energy levels are not what they used to be because yeah. I'm not 18 anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, I also had COVID. It took me two years to recover. Oh, wow. So now I'm sort of semi-retired, living in a little retirement village, Mm -hmm. and I'm very relaxed and happy. Yeah, (laughs) with a big smile. But so, and I mean, obviously, because of what had happened, I was supposed to interview you first. And then because you ended up having that kidney infection, then I interviewed Greg first. And he is doing this course through you. Yes. He's doing a program through you. So is that through Zoom? Yes. Okay. Yes, I've been teaching over Zoom for ages now. Yeah. So I didn't go into it with Greg because, you know, all these stories, like today you said I, w- I didn't expect to go into the weight discussion. Neither did I. I had no idea. But it's an authentic conversation that presents itself, you know. Um, same with Greg. I had no idea about his background. Um but we got more involved in it obviously is his life story, but he mentioned the soul retrieval, if I think that was the name of the course. Yes. And I thought about it afterwards just because I'm curious about all these sorts of things. What is that? What is a soul retrieval course? It has its roots in shamanism because they believe And shamanism has very much to do with Native American spirituality, Mm -hmm. which in fact is very similar to African spirituality. Okay. Because our local uh, African population also do soul retrieval. So let me talk from both perspectives. Mm -hmm. In the Native American tradition, they believe that when you get ill, 
it's because at some stage you experienced trauma mm-hmm. that was too difficult to handle. So what do you do? You just bury it. And that aspect of soul goes into hiding. It's like you've numbed it. You mm. can't look at it. You don't want to look at it. Mm. Very much like post-traumatic stress disorder. It's mm. there, but you won't look at it. Yeah. And then the person starts respond, uh, re, uh, manifesting with an illness that does not respond to conventional treatment. Mm. It can be depression. It can be anorexia. Um, it can be the inability to focus, to concentrate, to get on with their lives. And you'll know a person is suffering from soul loss when they say, I've never been the same since my accident. Yeah. Or my whole life changed when my husband died. Mm. Uh, or I've just not been right since I was hijacked. Mm. But it, it, there are lots of giveaways in terms of language. Mm-hmm. But as a facilitator, soul retrieval practitioner, you can see it in their eyes. Mm. The eyes have lost their sparkle. Mm. Now, in the African tradition, the Zulu tradition particularly, if somebody is murdered or killed in an accident, Mm. there's a special tree that the elders go and pick branches from, Mm -hmm. and they go to the spot where the person lost their lives, and they use these branches and they clean the area, and they call the soul to come home. Mm-hmm. Because the soul might be caught in the accident, the trauma of what happened and unable to move home, mm-hmm. go home. And then they call the soul and they put it in a bottle. Yeah. And they sweep the place clean. Mm-hmm. And then they take the bottle home and all the way to the ancestral burial grounds, all the way home, the person carrying the bottle will talk to the deceased as though they're there. Okay. Explaining what had happened and they'd come to fetch his soul and they were taking him home to be buried with his ancestors. Mm -hmm. If they stop for a meal, the person holding the bottle will put it next to him. A special place will be laid at the table and while he's eating, he'll talk to the person in the bottle. Yeah. And then they take them home and then there's a formal burial. Yes where he's buried with the family and the ancestors come to collect his soul. So that is a form of soul retrieval okay. in the African tradition. Yeah. but and, and is that what you're teaching? Is that the course? No, that's no. not what I'm teaching. Okay. I just give examples yes, of yes. African spirituality. Yeah. But uh, what uh, the training is intense. Uh, my mentor, Linda Lamotta, will not teach anybody soul retrieval unless they've been apprenticed to her for seven years. So it's not for beginners Mm. because you have a sacred contract. Uh, The shaman has the ability to go into a trance state, and this is what soul retrieval is all about, to journey along the person's timeline, Mm -hmm. to go back in time to where the soul loss occurred. Okay. Then you need to retrieve that soul, Mm. bring it back, and then blow it back into that person's heart center. 
mm-hmm. like calling a lost child home. Okay. So it's quite advanced in terms of one in the healing modalities. Yeah, yeah. So, and, it, you know, going back to D- Dr. Brian Weiss, so, you know, he's a he was a psychiatrist um, who was also then shifted when he had a patient. You've read that book, right? Um, but for those of you guys who haven't read the book, go read the book if you're interested in sort of exploring, you know, uh, past lives, you know, if you believe in past lives, if, if you believe that you're still going to have another life after this life, you know, go have a read of his book because it actually m- makes it very understandable. And um, it was a real life story with one of his patients that he um, wrote for us in the book. So, but um, he went into the hypnotherapy to go into sort of getting her to talk about her timeline. And I've spoken about, I've spoken to other people who said that they have had that they've been into um, hypnotherapy and gone into those areas. I, um, you have to be willing to just let go, right? When you're in these therapy rooms, because I think I'm too in control to, you know, to let go into going into those spaces? Or is it that if you're such a good therapist or is such a good clairvoyant or, you know, healer that you can actually still override? Because you, not, you're shaking no. your head. It's, in, it's interesting <laughs> it's a, you say that. Mm. Uh, past life regression is also a form of soul retrieval. Yes. Uh, I did past life regressions for many, many years. And now I incorporate, I only journey for people now. I don't talk them through it. What does that mean, you journey for them? We make an appointment, we discuss their needs. Then I set up a time for them Mm. to connect with me mentally. They must relax, listen to some quiet music. Mm. And then I connect with them. And I go into what we call an astral state. I, ju- I leave my body. I journey along their timeline to find where the soul loss occurred, mm. whether it's this life or in other lives, find the soul part, bring it back, and then transfer it to that person. Mm, like you said, blowing it into the third yes. heart center. Yes. Past life regression is also a form of soul retrieval. Yeah. Now, um, I have a friend, uh, I'm sure everybody's heard of Max Kahn. Mm. He's a famous hypnotist. Yeah, I haven't, but yeah, Max or Matt. Yeah, Max, M-A-X. Max, yeah. There are some people who cannot be hypnotized. Yeah. You just can't. Yeah. And others are susceptible to it, yeah. open to it. Mm. And that is why when I, if somebody wants a long-distance soul retrieval, there's a questionnaire they fill out, mm-hmm. and I can tell from that whether they are suited to soul retrieval or not. Mm. Because if they can't relax, I can't do much with them. Yeah, yeah. But who's Max? What's what was he's is Max Cotton? Is he someone that can put every, every everyone under? Well, he had his own television show for quite a while. Like we're going back many many years. Yeah, you know, and he would do public demonstrations of hypnosis. Yeah, and even he said to me, you know, there's some people you just cannot hypnotize. Oh, okay. So he also confirmed that that he confirmed okay. it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So tell me. Healing is such a, it's, you know, when, when you're a healer or someone who has the natural ability to help people and, and they're everywhere, you step outside your front door and healers, natural healers, 
helpers, they're all over the place. Um, they don't know it or they don't see themselves as it. But often what happens is people will travel this path of doing a job and it will be completely unrewarding. And then they'll be in the space of, you know, trying to understand themselves and see that, you know, it's these areas where they're always good, right? And it's helping people. It's, it's doing things what is, what's natural to them. But because it comes so naturally to them, it doesn't feel right to charge for that. How was that for you when you, when you like charged your first customer to either, you know, um, read their, what do you say? Read their life or what, how do you say? Well, it? when it came to healing, there was a huge, huge, I'm going to say I felt guilty taking money. Mm. But at that time, being a single parent with two boys to support with a pittance of maintenance. Mm. I had no choice. So in the beginning, I started uh, charging, asking for a donation. Um, and then as, as my work evolved, then I got consulting rooms. Now suddenly you've got rent to pay. Exactly. You've got your traveling expenses. Mm. Uh, you've got to buy clothes to look presentable. There's refreshments. Then I thought, no. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I can't do this for nothing anymore. So for many years, I worked on the basis of the rich pay and the poor come free. Okay. I, I never, <laughs> uh, I've never been wealthy mm. Mm. <laughs> for that reason. I know there are some healers who charge 1,500 rand. I'm not comfortable with that. Yeah. Uh, generally, by the time they get to a healer, they spent all their money on everything else mm. trying to get better. And generally, they're broke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Um, it's always been difficult for me, even doing the readings in the beginning. I did it for nothing. But then, of course, my kids didn't have food to eat. Yeah. So I had to charge. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that it, it's such a, I mean, you've already spoken about the sensitivity protecting yourself, but it, 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 I would imagine it's such a vulnerable path to travel being able to read someone's hands or like feeling people, seeing people every day. I know you say you don't go in unless they allow it, but it's uh, what's it like living in Catherine's world? Uh, you know what happens if you – when I was doing readings, the person would just sit opposite me mm. and like fine-tuning a radio, I would find their frequency and then they would um, – I worked very much like an intuitive counselor, you know, not a fortune teller. There's a huge difference. Okay. You know. Um, but you said clairvoyant also. Yes. Intuitive counseling involves clairvoyance. Mm. I did the Lifeline course. I've done other counseling courses, mm. which are essential to anybody who opens a private practice. Mm. You smiling? No, because you you're tuning into me, and I'm trying to block that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, and I'm trying not to read you. <laughs> I'm not doing anything deliberate. No, eh? no, we've got this mental rapport. Me, yes, us. We're yes, talking, and yes. we're building this energy and everything. <laughs> um, so, just to go back to that, then the person would, uh, I would say, now you must tell me. Why did you come and see me today? All right. 
And then they start talking and I, I, I talk about the little voice on my shoulder. Everybody's got a little voice on their shoulder. Mm. Don't park there. What you just said is wrong. Wada, wada, wada. Yes, yes. And then I wait for a little voice on the shoulder to start talking to me. And then the person will tell the whole story and then the little voice will say, but that's not the problem. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I would go beyond, behind the words and then start doing the counseling mm-hmm. part. Now, when you go to a Sangoma. Yes. And explain that to our foreign listeners, okay. to our guys in America or wherever. Okay. Uh, uh, overseas, uh, they call them witch doctors. Yeah. But uh, you get an authentic Sangoma who is a traditional healer, yes. properly trained, who does not work with magic and the dark mm. forces. And you will get a somebody who's turned to the dark side. Mm. And that's become a witch doctor. Mm-hmm. Now, we've got about 350,000 traditional healers and gormas in South Africa, and an African person will generally consult a Sangoma force first mm. before he goes to a Western doctor. Now, our Sangomas are, are brilliant psychics, the authentic ones. There's a lot of charlatans out there. Mm-hmm. And when somebody comes with a problem, we talk about throwing the bones. These are little bones, a dice, little objects, crystals, stones, whatever that the Sangoma has collected. And he will throw the bones purely to give the person something to look at. But in reality, while they're looking at the bones and the stones and thinking, what is the Sangoma seeing? What we do and what they do is cast their aura over the client's aura Mm -hmm. and then you pull it back. And then you've got all the information you need to do the reading. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, to do a reading and you go into somebody else's space, you pick up a lot of stuff. Mm. No matter how you've got all these psychic protection exercises you do to stop you picking up residue and everything. But invariably, when they leave your consulting rooms, they feel wonderful mm. because you've given them a transfusion of good spiritual energy that you built up in the morning Mm -hmm. and you go home feeling half dead. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, I I can, I can imagine that. I mean, I I always wanted to be a psychologist and my mom says, my child, you do not want to listen to people's problems all day. But I mean, this. so anyway, I ended up doing it this way, having a podcast show, hearing people's life stories, as opposed to sort of that repetitive psychological, you know, uh, therapy. Um, but it is it i mean you know i i for for me even having these interviews i don't do it more than once a week because i i i do i do get into this you know i always say this little prayer and i've said this many times on the show but i'm always like just tell me what we need to talk about like i don't have any agenda you know you've come into my path for some reason um let's talk and and find out your life story and i have you know whatever happens happens but it is 
for me to stay in tune of someone's story, just like you as the healer, you know, I think when you are working with people and you are, the end game is to bring inspiration, bring hope. Yes. There's going to be some kind of energy exchange that takes place, leaving one person slightly lower than the other, I suppose, if that's. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 carry on, carry on. You go. Also, when you're in private practice, especially as a healer, um, the stories you hear, unbelievable suffering, problems, mm. whatever. Uh, I used to have many a day when I went home completely traumatized. Yeah. Because of that exchange of energy, wada, 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 and it, did affect my health. I was always sick with something. (laughs) Yeah. So talk to me about that then. I mean, okay, like, for example, when you were going to come in, right, and then you had the kidney infection, you know, and it's funny how we think, or I guess it's the idea that if someone's a healer, that they're in a good space, that they're in a good place, that they are healthy, you know, and, and I think I'm asking this, actually, now I realize why I'm asking this. I didn't know why I started asking, but I know for me, being someone who's always been good at helping people um, and resisting to be in that space, um, is because you feel like you have to be perfect in a way. Like, not. You, I'm not saying that that sounds weird the way I'm saying it, but I'm saying it in a way because... I like to have a glass of wine. I like to get tipsy sometimes. I don't like it all the time. I'm very controlled. It's it's a choice when I'm going to get tipsy. I don't just get tipsy, you know, or um, like when I was younger, I like to rebel with a cigarette, but I know it's so bad for your skin and I, I've always looked after my skin. So then I don't be a smoker all the time, but it's just, it's this constant pressure that when you're the helper or the one who is trying to help people that you feel this pressure that you've got to be good always or perfect always? It's enormous pressure. Uh, uh, sorry, I don't want to go there. Um, that's why I uh, feel so. Go some- there. Go there. You were going there. You stopped yourself. I I lost my entire family. Uh, My eldest brother was killed in a car accident. And the other three took their own lives. My father and the other three brothers took their own lives. My mom died of cancer. And all this in a very short space of time. Wow. And obviously, I cracked. I had an emotional breakdown. And because I was a spiritual teacher, teaching, healing, counseling, and everything, people felt that I'd let them down. I had to be the perfect, the perfect one. Mm and sail through whatever was thrown at me. And I think the biggest mistake I've always made, you know, when you're in self, when you're self-employed, 
it doesn't matter what crisis hits you, you've got to go back to work. Mm. And so I pushed all these feelings down, down, down. And what happened in the family happened in very quick succession, including my son nearly being killed in a car accident. So it was a whole quick succession. You mm. hadn't caught your breath from the first one and the wow. next one happens. Wow. Um, that's numbing stuff. That's like <laughs> that's like nail in the coffin numbing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got to the stage now where I find people can relate to me better if I share my life story. Mm. Because this compares, they draw comparisons with the path I've walked and the path they've walked. Mm. Um, and it hasn't been easy. One never gets over loss. No. You just learn to live around it. Mm. Yeah. And you say that as a healer, you say that. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I don't know if you spoke to, I don't know if you and Greg spoke after our, our conversation. I can imagine you did. Touch base. So I didn't know if he spoke to you about, you know, my story. And it's not like I bring up my story every time on the show, but, you know, if it presents itself, I talk about it because that for me was, you know, I lost a brother, you know, he was shot. And so, um, you know, I got very emotional talking with Greg because I don't often talk about it because I mean, that's not why I do these interviews. Um, but it is very interesting to me that people, um, who, I guess are in the space of healing or wanting to heal and help others have experienced something quite traumatic in their life, like Greg's story. Um, and you guys listening will be able to go here, Greg, if you just go search Greg, um, Jacobson, you'll find his interview, which goes live this week. But, um, so, well, for you guys, it won't be this week because you're listening. So just go search Greg Jacobson, but, um, you know, it's, I'm hearing you talk about your family and, and it's one after the other, boom, 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 and close. And I mean, you know, just reflecting on my journey, I still can't talk about it easily, you know, because we were so close. And I mean, and that's something I also learned, you know, you just cannot quantify or death is, is, is a different story for everyone. Everyone has a different relationship with that story. Um, yes, and most healers, uh, there is a theory that the wounded healer heals the best. Mm. I found invariably, if I was getting to a phase, let's just say that you, it comes in batches. <laughs> uh, suddenly you have a whole batch of people who are having marital problems or a whole batch of people that have had an op or whatever. Mm. Just before that batch arrives, I go through that experience. Yeah. And then having been through that experience, I'm better equipped yeah. to relate to my client's problems. Mm. Makes sense. And, 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 and you, while you're saying that, I'm thinking, is that law of attraction? Is that serendipity working in reverse? Like, what is it? You know, is it the universe just preparing you? Yeah. There's only practical. Okay. I've done counseling courses to uh, make my task to be a better therapist. Mm. Um, but unless you've walked the walk, you know, how can you relate? Mm. You've lost your brother. I can relate to that. Mm. I lost four brothers, mm. and my eldest brother and I were also like twins. Mm. So I can relate to what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So – 
for everyone listening in now also, you know what, you you said you're 77, right? 77? No, 70, uh, 74. 74, sorry. I said my mom was turning 77. <laughs> my mom turned 77, you're 74. Um, and you've got your wits about you and your, you know, and, and that my mom never recovered from. And that was for me still, I still don't know. You know, I did, I sent her for therapy afterwards and she was like not interested, you know. Yes. So I, like in a way I kind of have come to the terms, to terms with the fact that maybe it's just, you know, because I moved my whole family over here last year, you know, and I'm so grateful that they, well, you know, they being my husband, you know, went along with it and and decided okay cool we can stay but in a way i just feel okay cool that's that's just the best i can probably do is by being close but sometimes you actually just can't do anything maybe you yeah. know and it's okay to be okay with that yeah for me um i also lost my daughter-in-law i think she was about 35 uh, from a brain hemorrhage. Mm. So what helped me was uh, I live in a retirement village. People just came and sat with me. Mm. They didn't need to say anything. They just sat and listened to me talk. You know, and when the family member is very close to you, there's not much you can do. I was so broken when Mandy died that I couldn't help my son, but he was in England. And her mom went and stayed with him. And I knew that even if I could have gone to be with Michael, I was so broken for my son, I couldn't have done anything. Mm. So about eight months later, I went over, mm. and then I was able to be supportive. Yeah. But when you're too broken yourself, <laughs> it's very difficult to yeah. help somebody else. Yeah. But just being here. Is enough. Yeah. How do you process then these deaths and the 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 understanding of it, the giving it the place? I know you said you never get over it. You just learn to deal with it. But how do you, knowing what you know about past lives and that there are future lives and that maybe this person can come back into your life? And I'm saying this in the way that I'm still, I haven't given it a place because when Ken died, I did not give it a place. I did not know what place to give it. I knew in that moment it was meant to be. It was universally his time. I knew that. I knew I, I had this very strong energy that went through me, like literally like a, like a, mm. like a light of energy, you know, with a message, love is the only thing that mattered. And, you know, that changed the course of my life forever because I wasn't then just only about career. That's why I, I give a lot of time to my kids to my stepdaughters at the time, you know. So, but um, how do you place it? Because you, you, you're hurting on the one side, but then on the other side, there's this understanding, okay, well, they're in another body now, they're in another life now, or I don't know. So talk to me about that part, because that part I don't know. You could have all the knowledge in the world. You can be the greatest healer, the greatest clairvoyant, but it doesn't change the pain. It doesn't change anything. Uh, the only difference is, is as you start to heal, your loved ones are able to come to you in dreams and there's that connection in the dream state. Um, 
but doesn't make any difference. There are <coughs> there are some cultures. That de- sorry, sorry. <coughs> that went down the wrong pipe. Sorry. <coughs> yeah, there are some cultures that, from birth, they <coughs> rejoice about death, and when somebody yes. dies, they <coughs> are thrilled. <coughs> And they rejoice, but we aren't raised that way in the Western tradition. I know. It, death is so final. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, this <clears throat> suddenly they're not family anymore. They're spirits. And you mustn't communicate with the spirit world. How you frustrating. Mean, that's what society tells us. Yes. yes. How you frustrating. How frustrating. Okay. I don't, even though I have this clairvoyant ability, I don't see my mum, but I'll be working in the kitchen and she'll be giving me tips on cooking, you know, or I'd hear her voice. Her favorite saying was, don't worry, lovey, everything's going to be all right. (laughs) And that's still when there's, you know, things a bit uncertain, I can hear mum's voice. Yeah. And I must just tell you something. Can I share this with you about suicide? Yes. Uh, after my dad took his life, yeah. You know, you you there's one never knows where they went. Yeah. There's some people that believe their souls go to purgatory, or you're cast out of heaven and you drift between this world and the next, and yeah. that it's the most <clears throat> terrible thing you can do. So after my dad died. I was besides myself. Wow. I didn't know <clears throat> what had happened to him. And I remember going on my knees and praying and, and asking God to give me a sign, just tell me Dad's okay, um, you know, that he isn't being punished in hell because he took his life. Mm. It, and I really poured my heart out. And my brothers were all alive then. And that night I had a dream. And this isn't condoning suicide, don't get me wrong. But my dad came to me and he sat on the bed. Yeah. And he said the biggest mistake he ever made, he was an alcoholic. Yeah. He was having problems with DTs and things like that. What's DTs? Oh. Delirium tremitus oh. or something. Oh, okay. I've like, forgotten the word. Yeah. You know, when he, he, in the note he left, he said, I can't take this anymore because the devil comes to taunt me. And he was seeing hideous things and it was the alcohol that had affected his brain. Okay. But he said that when he passed over, he realized he'd made the biggest mistake of his life. Because when he got to the other side, all the facilities that are available here for counseling, healing, um, rehab, whatever, whatever, were there. Mm -hmm. And he was admitted to a kind of special spiritual hospital, and he still had to go through a kind of spiritual rehab on that side. And all he had to do was to, if it only he'd stayed here, because we had all those resources and followed, gone through all those resources Mm. here, because having called it a day, he would have to come back again. Anyway. 
<clears throat> and redo the curriculum. Mm. And added to that was the fact that it caused so much pain and suffering to those left behind. Yeah. Now, the fascinating thing was when I phoned my brothers, before I could say anything, each of them said to me, hey, I dreamt about dad last night. All of us had the identical dream. Wow. And to me, that's very profound, you know. Yes, you can call it a day, but there's unfinished business. Mm. There's unfinished business. Mm. And that's exactly, yeah, that's also what is spoken about in Dr. Brian Weiss's book, you know, which is interesting because it does make you think about, okay, where am I at with my life? You know, and it makes you look at your life and, and look at like, okay, what do I need to work on? You know, what are these repetitive things that come up that I need to work on and be vulnerable yes. about and, and, and own up to or, you know, whatever the case may be. That's right. That's right. And that's where the, the, um, that's what I call spiritual. It's not walking around dressed in white. Yeah. <laughs> and, and holding, um, a lotus flower yeah. in one hand mm. and a stick of incense in the other. Mm. I tried that. <laughs> I didn't feel right. Didn't no. you? <laughs> Somebody said to me, playing the guru doesn't suit you, Catherine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's when when life throws you a curved ball, and you've got to work through it. And sometimes you make a hell of a mess working through it. Mm, mm. <laughs> but you've got to keep on. I had to keep on for my children. Yeah, I was tempted to call it a day so often because mm. that's what my dad did. That's why he solved his problems. So if he if Daddy did it, then I can do it. Yeah, but yeah. my boys. My boys, you've got to have a reason to live. Yeah. But he didn't. But it, but it will actually, it was because of combination with alcohol. Yes. Right. And that's where it starts becoming fuzzy. Yes. When there's drugs and alcohol involved. That's right. And for a long time, I couldn't forgive him because when I lost three brothers that way, I thought, yeah, you set, a, you set an example. Yeah. It's your fault that they did it because you did it. So did they all, they didn't all three. One of them had the car. Car accident. Yeah. And the other three. Wow. Yeah. And they had also had that same dream. Yes. Yet they still went through. Shame. Yeah. But when my dad came to me, uh, uh, I was running a soul retrieval workshop the one day, and I have a recorded soul retrieval meditation uh, on one of my websites. Mm. And I was just relaxing and not even thinking about doing the meditation, listening to the commentary. And I had my eyes closed and suddenly my Granny Wilson, my dad's mom, yes. came to me. And she said, you must stop being angry with your father. Because she took me back to the night that she died and how my father cried like a baby. And I remembered that night. And she said, your father suffered terribly all his life. Mm. He, he wanted to join the Navy. His father wouldn't sign the documents. He became a plumber. Um, he never had anything. He struggled with this addiction. And the story went on and on and on. And she said, just see your father as a human being who couldn't go on mm. and forgive him. 
And it was such a release to do that. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that's the one thing that's close to my heart. And, and you, you just mentioned a point in that is that everyone must do what they love. And I'm not saying, you know, I know everyone will look at this situation and, and now in hearing me say that they'll think, well, I can't because I don't have the money because of this, because of that. You're in your situation because you put yourself in that situation. And I know then they're going to say, oh, well, because of this and this and that. And I really, truly do believe that we're in the situation we're in, whether this one has a wealthy parent or that one has uh, a partner that can support them or, you know, you created that situation as well. That's what I believe anyway. Um, and I just have such a strong feeling that, uh, for me that I want to, you know, be, uh, an aid and just reminding people if they may be not cognizant of it, but just to really try to do what you love, like believe in yourself. You know, you talk about your dad wanting to do that and his dad wouldn't sign the papers, you know, this sort of story, um, I've seen in my life in people where they've, they've struggled because they didn't do what they loved in life. And then all these other things started piling on, you know, Jen, I want to come to that. Um, so many, oh man, people in the children want to be one thing and they insist they be another. Mm. I've had somebody who wanted to be a fashion designer and her parents insisted that she become a doctor. I don't even want to go there, what the outcome was. And so often the parents decide this is what you're going to do. And it's not what the child wants. And you're quite right. You need to follow your dream, follow your passion, um, find a way to do it. But there are Billions of children nowadays who want to follow their dream and their parents will say, no, you will do X, Y, Z. And they're forced into an occupation they hate or which destroys their lives. Mm. So, yes, um, in my father's day, you had to have a trade. Mm. And he said to the boys, be whatever you like, but learn a trade first. Okay, so I'm not saying your children should not further their education, but listen to what they're saying, because what you might force them to do may not be what they want to do. I mean, wanting to be a fashion designer and being forced to be a doctor <clears throat> yeah. and having to work in the trauma unit at Baragwanath, whoa, that's Aina. Mm. So, yes, the child should, people do need some kind of qualification mm -hmm. to fall back on. But for goodness sake, don't force them. Somebody, yeah. I had somebody whose child wanted to be a carpenter. He loved creating with wood. Mm. They insisted he become a psychologist because mom and dad were psychologists. Mm. And that brings me to another point. When people come and do my healing course, mm. the first thing I say to them is, don't give up your day job because <laughs> sometimes people do a healing course and they open their healing practice and they say I've been called now where are yeah. my clients and nobody pitches <laughs> yeah. it doesn't work that way mm. okay sometimes God pays good but sometimes he pays lousy mm. so I've always had 
additional sources of income. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've stopped working full time, yes, but I've always kept other lines of income open. Yeah, yeah. So now going back to your 74 years and, <laughs> okay. and, and leading to closing off. Yeah, I mean, you've, have, you've got so, so many years of wisdom now, you know, that you've gained. And wow, you know, just, you know, from your dad moving around from city to city, from being in boarding school, from um, – and I was in boarding school, by the way, as well. And actually one of my best friends comes from a copo. So, you know, when you said that, my ears picked up. But she, we, I was also in Peter Maritzburg, but, you know, we were at school, a, a girls' school in Peter Maritzburg as well. Um, you know, that is a whole nother experience as well, you know, being sent away from home, boarding school, you know, all girls school. It does toughen you up though. But, you know, you, you had that experience. You, you didn't live a sheltered life, you know, you, you, from the sounds of it, you were, it was very moving. The feeling is it was moving. It's a moving, moving, moving life, you know, and then nursing world and the, 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 you know, the, the, obviously the excitement, but the trauma there as well. Then going into those different jobs, those different contract jobs you had, you know, losing family. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's such a full, not a protected life. It's a just, it's a, it's a proper lived experience life. What is your, what's your definition of life? What's your definition of this journey that we're on? Everybody's on a different journey. Mm. Okay. But the, we complicate things because we expect it to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And when life doesn't go the way we want it, we throw the toys out, our toys out of the cot. Mm. Okay. Mm. If it were perfect, we'd be in heaven. And this isn't heaven. Now, apparently in China, people expect to have challenges regularly. So when they've dealt with one challenge, they just relax and they wait for the next one and they deal with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've had to learn a very profound lesson because as healers, we like to rescue. Mm -hmm. We like to make it better for everybody. Solve the problem, find the solution. And I've had to learn to put the brakes on because everybody is on a different journey mm. and <laughs> for example um, with the second marriage it was a prime example uh, Carl's first wife was forever getting into debt so mm. he married her and he had money when they got married <clears throat> and whenever the summons came or the sheriff came, he would bail her out. Mm -hmm. When they came to take the furniture, he would tell the sheriff, this furniture is mine. Mm. He was forever bailing her out. And then he had no money because he used up all his money settling her debts. And then she left him. And what the lesson he had to learn there was that um, he kept on trying to solve her problems and she never learned not to get into debt. And when he reconnected with her 18 months after the divorce, she was up to her eyeballs in debt. So by him interfering, uh, he had to pay the price. Mm -hmm. So, yes, everybody's on their own journey. And my journey is totally different to yours. Mm. 
etc., etc. And that's how it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, so everyone's just on their own journey. But That's what's right. your point though? Not to get in, not in, not to interfere also, you know, is 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 there something in there with that as well in terms of, you know, because that is the thing, right? You travel life and you life is about relationships. Otherwise, we wouldn't be living, right? It's it's the connection you have with different humans along the way. So uh, what's, you what know, what's I'm that? saying, I'm not saying don't help people. No. I'm not saying that. Mm. We can help one another. But there's a big difference between interfering and helping. All right. So, yeah. Um, Now you're confusing me. Because you talk about that story, right, of your ex. Yes. And, and, then, and then while people are listening, they're thinking, okay, cool. Well, what are the relationships I have with these different people and what am I doing in their life? What is my uh, presence having – what kind of effect is my presence having on their life and how am I interfering? Or- okay. Well, let's look at Carl. He could see that his wife was getting into debt, getting into debt. He'd uh, pay off one – account and then she would open another account Mm. and the same thing and if you saw he kept on seeing yes he should have been aware that he wasn't helping her up he was helping her down and you know people often see that sometimes you you given you given you given the person doesn't change their behavior Mm. and this is where the tough love comes in and things like that yeah you know so yeah it's a very complex area Yes. Okay, but sometimes we have to stand back and become the observer and try to see the repetitive patterns going on in somebody's life Mm -hmm. and to ask yourself, am I helping them down or am I helping them up? And what what if you can't help them? Like what if you you think you know you like we we all have someone in our life that that we think they need help right but but they don't want our advice or they don't want to listen to us or and I'm not talking about clients here now. Yes. this is not professional we're talking yes. about personal the personal journey um they won't li- i mean i yeah i mean you know they won't listen but they, they, how, you sometimes you just can't help people it's the most frustrating thing well you've answered your own question because they don't want to be helped i still have to fight with myself unless people, somebody asks me for help or asks me for advice i've got mm. to bite my lips because invariably I think this is what you need to do and this is what you need to hear and wada, wada, wada. And then I wonder why they get upset. And I have to ask, because it was, it's personal, right? And, and yes. you are, because of your sensitivity to read into people, do, do you ever see things and you think, oh, shit, I shouldn't have seen that. I don't want to see that. Do you? Do you, really? Yeah. How do you deal with that? I mean, how did that's horrible? That's like you're holding a secret in a way. Don't you feel that? Well, you just have to bank it because they're on their journey. Mm. That's their journey. So it's different if I were doing a reading and I saw a car accident. Yes. 
I would definitely say to the person, please, slow down. Get your brakes checked. Stop at robots. Don't jump robots. But I'm not going to say you can have an accident. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you learn that. You learn yeah, to navigate those kinds yeah. of sites. And very often uh, the message comes through symbolically. I once said to a woman, I was doing a reading, I said, the roof of your house is going to fall down in June. And she had the roof tested, 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 nothing wrong with the roof. And in June, her marriage caved in. Oh, okay. Yes, one does sometimes see stuff and you just have to bank it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so and on a light note, yes. and in closing on a light note, and, and a, just a cool positive light note, what has been the coolest thing that's happened to you in your in your practice, you know, in helping someone, or can you? And uh, oh, when I had my healing practice, and I don't do it anymore. Mm, all right, mm. I'm just stressed that. Yes, uh, you have I, stressed that a couple of times. So yes, <laughs> everyone <laughs> listening, the, Catherine's not available. <laughs> on the odd occasion, you know, I do help somebody. Yeah, uh, but an old man came to see me. And he hobbled into the waiting rooms on two sticks. He could barely walk. Uh, for some reason, the circulation from his knees down wasn't doing what it should do. Mm. And when I put my hands on his legs, it felt like a plank. Mm -hmm. And anyway, lay on the bed and I allowed I know healer ever healed anybody I want to make that very clear it's the power of God working through us that does the work mm. so I cannot have ego because I cannot heal anybody put my hands on him did my prayers channeled the energy coming through me and he walked out on his sticks yeah and the next day I heard bang 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 on my consulting room door he had another appointment opened the door and he threw his walking sticks in <laughs> And he said, look, yeah, there, there are many miracles, all right, many miracles, but the miracles are few and far between, okay, because generally when somebody comes for a healing, they might have a sore knee, but the knee is not what needs attention. Mm. Can I wrap up with a beautiful story? Yes, beautiful story. Yes, okay, and but, but the, and then after that, you just you're just gonna leave people with a little tip of advice of, you know, because life is so complicated. I mean, listen to our conversation. You know, it's so intricate. Just a tip on, just a little life tip. Okay, after okay. your story. All yeah. right, Harry Edwards and Olive Burton had a healing sanctuary in England. Harry mm. Edwards put healing on the lap, on the map. Okay, and this hobo came into the healing sanctuary one day and he was dressed in tatters. He was swearing like a trooper. He smelt of booze. He was smoking. And he said to Harry Edwards, look, I've got this cataract in my left eye and it just won't heal. And if you guys are any good, you can heal my cataract. So Harry Edwards was a bit concerned about his behavior and his language with Olive there. And Olive said, don't worry. And for the next six months, the beggar came in once a week for healing. Mm. And the first thing they noticed was that he had a bath. Mm -hmm. Then they noticed that his language improved. Mm. 
Then they noticed that he stopped drinking, and then they noticed that he stopped smoking, and at the end of six months, he came in with a huge bouquet of flowers for Olive, and he said, I have found myself a job, and I'm going to build a center for the homeless. But your healing has done nothing for me because I've still got the cataract. And that's how it works. Mm, Beautiful story. Yes, a lovely story. I Mm. love it. And in terms of a tip for people, you know, nobody has to be perfect. I love shamanism because it allows me to be human. Mm. I'm a mixture of both light and dark. And that's what makes us human. Yeah. All right. And from our own daily struggles of self-criticism, thinking about the past, things that people said to me, things that I said to people, mistakes I made and what a, what a, what a. Learn to turn off that monkey mind. Because when I get up in the morning and that monkey mind starts with its chatter, I say that's enough now. We've got a brand new day. Let's make the most of it. And that's the message I leave with your listeners. Thank you, Jan. Lovely. Thanks, Catherine. So, guys, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Share the show with all your family and friends. As I always say, sharing is caring. Go to the website, inspirationalinterviews.com, and subscribe. Once a week, you'll just receive a super cool life story in your mailbox. Check out my Instagram handle. It's my favorite social platform, Inspirational Interviews. If you just search Jen Rod, you'll also find me there. Thanks for listening, guys. Super grateful to have recorded my show at Solid Gold Podcasts. See you on the flip side. Let's see where this song might lead.